It's a strategy-heavy podcast as we dive into just about every strategy angle of FAB, from knowing who to pick up and when to drop a player, how much to bid, how to pace yourself, and even what exact number to bid on in certain situations. Plus, we'll have waiver wire, injuries, and much more. NFBC veteran Scott Genstad joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, hey, I <laughs> just talking to everybody about some wild incident that happened to me. Uh, let's just say that uh, be careful when you order a salad at a restaurant, right? Yeah, you may get arrested. So go with the fries. It's, it's a very, very odd story, but you know, it's it's you wouldn't have that problem at City Field. I don't think they serve salads at City Field. Nah, just hot dogs and burgers and uh, other stuff and beer. Uh, well, we've got a great show today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of strategy. Uh, you know, we, we do talk about players in the show, and one of the things that we preach on on our the shift podcast is that it's a lot about strategy winning the games you can know the players but if you don't know how to effectively manage your team uh you're going to be lost and it's an advantage just on its own to do the strategy we've got a great guest today who's one of the best players at fab uh scott jensted of rotowire who's an nfbc veteran welcome to the show scott how are you uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I, I appreciate you guys having me on i'm looking forward to it and i can promise you that dodger stating they do have salads Ooh. Nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A lot of salads here at Dodger Stadium. Nice. Oh, I should definitely catch one. I've never been to uh, – I've been to L.A. once, but uh, only for business meeting. I've never stayed. Uh, is it a nice stadium over there? It is. It is beautiful once you, like, sit down and can watch the game and the backdrop and all that. It is just miserable to get in and out of, which makes it uh, a little tough. They get, they get a lot of heat for people leaving early, but it's, like, a big game and – they, the problem is they do they get good, good crowds almost every night, but it's it's just really tough to get in and out. There's like three arteries in and out of it, and there's only like one freeway right there. It's just uh, it's uh, it's very nice once you once you sit down. It's a great place to watch a game, but getting in and out is very difficult. Right, but you can get a salad, so that is it's a big advantage. You can get a salad, you can get sushi, you can get whatever you want there. Nice, nice. I I'm sure you can get that at City Field, right? I imagine. Uh, I've never ordered it before, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, I'm going to talk about FAB today, uh, the process of bidding, when to bid, why to bid, uh, and different aspects of it. So, you know, just want to start very generally with you, Scott. Um, one thing I've noticed is that playing the waiver wire and the whole use of the waiver wire during the season has changed somewhat over the past five years or so. Do you agree with that? And would you say that the waiver wire is more or less important these days? And I do want to preface that everything we're talking about today is geared to redraft leagues. Uh, Dynasty is obviously very different. But in terms of redraft leagues, do you think that the waiver wire playing it is more important or less important over the past five years? Um, I, I'll answer your first question. Like, I think it's definitely changed, and I think it's changed because of the amount of resources that are out there now that that focus on Fab. You've got, uh, you know, five, eight, 
10 years ago, it was like, you know, it was on Sundays I'd sit down. It was kind of the Wild West. There was a, you know, a couple of articles on Rotowire usually, but you have uh, Vlad Sedler's article on FTN Fantasy is a great place for Fab. Ryan Bloomfield now does an article on uh, Baseball HQ that's really good. Jeff Zimmerman on Fangraphs has a really good one. So there's just so much content out there that it used to be like, oh, I can sneak this guy through, or oh, nobody will know this guy got called up. And I think that's changed a lot. Maybe, maybe the last eight years or so. I think the content out there, the amount of resources that are really, really good that help people get through Fab, I think it kind of just creates a baseline that everybody's starting at rather than everybody's starting at zero. And, you know, some people are grinding out, working harder. Some people are, you know, are just kind of looking for the, 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 the sexy call-ups and, and not really digging deeper. And with all the sources and content, I think it's changed a lot. I actually think it's more important now than it used to be um, for kind of two reasons. More there, One, there's there's more injuries now. There seems like there's always someone that is it's either tweaked or going on the aisle. It seems like a lot of injuries last few years. And the uh, the short starters, uh, you know, starting pitchers going short shorter short amount of time um, brings in a lot of middle relievers into play in fab, brings more starters into play, trying to figure out. I think it's always – I think that like seventh, eighth, and ninth spots on your on your, uh, your pitching rotation uh, is a lot more kind of churn and fungible. It used to be just because there aren't as many uh, locked-in starters you can kind of start every week. Yeah, uh, the injuries are a very, very big part of why it's changed. Um, and I can tell you from a statistics standpoint, from a, a evaluation standpoint, that there is more value lost in the draft, like from the players that you draft at the beginning of the season, more value seeds from it to the unre- below replacement level than it ever did before. I mean, there are people jumping up who were not drafted that come up, especially on the pitcher side also. Uh, as you said, the pitchers are much more fungible. When pitchers don't go consistently six, seven, eight innings, um, the whole arrangement and the whole way of the pitcher, uh, it, it just changes. And you get many more pitchers jumping up to above replacement level, and everything comes more fungible. I mean, uh, uh, the whole mid-range $10, $20 players is packed with players. You know, you uh, the difference between the 10th and the 30th and the 40th best pitcher becomes a lot smaller. Do you agree with all this, Ruben? I agree with everything, and it just goes to show, Scott, you mentioned that there's so many articles now there about Fab. It wasn't there before. That shows how important Fab is now, that it's so it's evolved to the point where there are no more quote-unquote sleepers because if everyone's calling them a sleeper, they're not really a sleeper anymore. If anyone has these hidden prospects that are on the waiver wire that you can get, they're not really hidden because everyone's mentioning them. And it's just it's so much more complicated now to try to figure out how much money you're going to spend on each individual player, how you're going to allocate your budget, and it's so much more complex than it was even 5, 10 years ago, like you mentioned, Ariel. Yeah, and we'll talk a lot about that tonight, about specifics of pricing and all that. Um, before that, I just want to get a feel for how, when do you do this during the week? Like, what's your schedule? Do you put in fab, fab bids when you see a player in the middle of the week? Do you tend to do this all on Sunday? Do you put some in on Friday? Like, how does it work for you schedule-wise? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just every, everybody's a little bit different with that. I am one that uh, I'm usually pretty busy during the week. I have a, a wife and kid also, so I try not to do too much during the week. I enjoy watching games. And part of me with fantasy baseball is I want to enjoy the games during the week. Like I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, this guy just got a hit. Let me go add him to my fab list. So I don't really think about it a ton. I'm watching enough games. I'm talking or chatting or texting about baseball enough that I have a, a pretty good idea of what's going on. But then I really usually sit down – either Saturday night or Sunday morning and look at each of my teams. As we get into this, I think that, you know, looking at your team first is a really important thing. And I can go into detail on that. But um, usually for me, it's, uh, it's Sunday. I have, uh, I used to be of the mindset, like 
the more I grind on Sunday, the more hours I spend, the more I'm going to get out of it. I think there's a, uh, a point of diminishing returns with that. So I've tried to like cut back a little bit. Whereas, uh, you know, I get, I get to the point where I need to get to, and I just, I kind of stop and put my bids in. So, uh, usually for me, it's a Sunday afternoon activity. The deadline, uh, you know, NFBC leagues, which I'm, you know, which I mostly play is seven o'clock in my time zone here, Pacific time zone. So probably like, I don't know, like like three to seven, something like that. I'm pretty much digging in on my on my three or four teams that have that fab deadline and really get into you know injuries and getting into my teams and what I need and what uh, who's starting that week, uh, you know who got who got called up, who's doing well. So I really dig in it. Probably about uh, probably about three to four hours on Sundays is kind of what I try and earmark for it. So you mentioned you first look at your team. What what do you, what did you mean by that? I think that's actually the most important thing I do. I, I talked to a lot of people about Fab. They were like, oh, let's just jump into the free agents and see who's there. But I think the most important thing and the, the way to really be more efficient with your time, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, I spend too much time on this. But a lot of these people will, like, you know, spend 20 minutes looking at shortstops when you have three in your team. So I think, you know, first uh, is figuring out what categories you need. So I'll go through and look at my league and, you know, see if they're, you know, I just, do I need stolen bases? Do I need saves? Am I going up in a category, down a category? I actually keep a spreadsheet where I, I, I track uh, my, where I stand each week. So I know, like, because if, I, if I'm in nine points in home runs, but I was at 15 points three weeks ago, or if I'm at three points three weeks ago, that means different things. You know, one of those means nine points means I'm doing well and on the right track. One means maybe I'm slipping there. I need to address power. So I look at uh, what categories I need, and then I look at what positions I need. So I look at my team and, you know, how many corners do I have? How many middles do I have? Do I have enough outfielders if one guy gets hurt, two guys gets hurt? Um, you know, I want, a, I, want, I want a backup middle, a backup corner, and a backup outfielder on my bench at all times. So I dig in first on categories so I know what I need to, you know, make a run, you know, keep, keep my standing wherever I am depending on where I am but also what ca- what positions I need you know do I have nine do I have nine pitchers this week do I have eight suddenly I need two pitchers this week if I have 11 guys I like that you know maybe I'm not as digging as deep on the pitcher wasting my time in that league you know looking at uh, you know someone that gets a, a one start against Pittsburgh and trying to find a sneaky a sneaky guy so I think that uh, looking at your team kind of figure out what you need where you need it what positions you need can really ma- help you make make yourself a lot more efficient and also help yourself with uh, you know figuring out what you do need when you get there because uh, you know if you if you need a first base or third baseman it's time to dig deep in there whereas if you don't you know maybe you can skip and, and save some time there so so Ruvain, what, what do, you, do, do you actually look at where you are in the standings like does it matter for you in fab if you're in third place versus ninth place in terms of your pickups and what you're looking for yeah i think i think you have to base it on that you have to see where you are if you have the possibility of actually gaining points in a certain category like let's say if you're looking you're you're 10 points away from getting points in stolen bases what's the point of looking at a guy who steals there's, there's really no point it's it's a waste it's a waste of your time and it's a waste of your fab budget even if he's a top fab guy on everyone's list for that week it doesn't matter your team may be different than what other people say the the best fab guy out there for that week is so looking where you are and where you can gain the most points that's where you can get the best uh, bang for your buck when it comes to the fab and that, that's a really good point too because like last week you know Vinny Pascantino was the top guy but my bids across every team that I have was different based on what I needed. So I know he was the top guy, and everybody's like, oh, you need to bid on this on that. But, you know, if you're on a team that needs offense, that bid needs to go up. If you're a team that your offense is stacked, you need pitching, like maybe you save some fab. So it's really important to to know what you need, and it really, it really morphs and molds, uh, you know, what you bid on a guy. Sure, sure. Um, Scott, you know, you play in a lot of leagues. Um, our listeners, some of them play in just one. Some play one or two. Some of them do play in a lot of leagues as well. We have a assortment of listeners here. Uh, how do you deal with the fact that you have so many leagues? Um, are you constantly looking at say, well, you know, I like Vinny P or, or I like some person and, you know, let's try to get him in every single league. Or are you digging into, well, this league, I need this, this league, I need this. How, how do you handle all the multiple leagues? 
I actually probably play in less leagues than you think I do, and I do that for that reason that just Sundays get too okay. crazy. And it's not fun for me if I've got you – know, I know people play in 20 leagues and they're doing fab all day Sundays. It's just not fun for me. I play in – I have two uh, – I have like four NFBC teams that are really my focus. I have a I have a couple other like local leagues I play in, but I pretty much have four leagues that are my focus uh, on fab, on setting lineups because, you know, NFBC you got to set lineups on Monday, you got to set lineups on Friday. Um, so I actually limit like, my leagues just for that reason. I don't play with a partner. I play with – you know, play my own teams and um, – I just find that uh, the, if I get any more teams than that, I kind of I lose my effectiveness. I lose how good I am at each one, and um, you know it's not fun for me to like. It's also not fun for me to roster every player in the league. I like rooting for guys, and if I find if I have too many teams, I'm like, oh, I own him on these two teams, but not these two, and it just it becomes not fun for me. So I've actually limited my teams. Um, I pretty much pay like a core four teams each year. Okay, okay. Um, I'll tell you though that you know mentioned you know you don't play with a partner. I actually find that playing with a partner with Ruvain in most of my leagues. Uh, actually helps in all the leagues because, you know, you may not be aware of a certain player and, you know, Ruvain mentions the guy and, huh, well, maybe can I get him in a different league? Uh, will he work for me on that team in a different league? So, you know, having a partner uh, alerts you to some other teams. I play with Derek Hardy in a league called GDD and, you know, Derek Hardy, he gives me a player, hey, is this guy available? Oh, and if I, if I am interested in him in our league, Maybe I can look at him in a league I'm not playing with him. Uh, you know, having a partner, I think, actually helps with Fab. Also, um, you can split up the work. You can do work together. Both of them are fun. Both of them are part of the process. As well as uh, if one of you is stuck away or whatever, you have somebody to uh, do it. You don't have to kill yourself. Uh, uh, what do you think, Ruben? I mean, you, you do Fab with me on a weekly basis. So what are your thoughts on teamwork there? I think the teamwork is extremely important, especially if I hear some news on Sunday that you don't hear, and I'll say, oh, look, this guy we put on our fab bet, because usually we talk about fab on Friday. We usually put our initial bids on Friday. We wait for the weekend to end to see if anything changes, then we reassess on Sunday. Now, if I'm out, I'm out on Sunday, or you're out on Sunday, and we catch something on the news, and the other person catches something on the news or something that's new, we'll say, okay, go home, change this, and and, and do that, because... If it was one person, you wouldn't be able to do that. You may miss something. You may miss that big pickup. You may miss the fact that you put in fair money for a guy who just went on the aisle on Sunday because that happens often. And it's so much easier. It, it's 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 more relaxing. Put it that way. You don't have to worry. even if you have a lot of teams. It's more relaxing because you know if you don't get if you don't catch something, maybe your partner will catch it. All right. So let me throw out the general question for you, Scott. Um, what do you look for when you're picking up players? Like what determines? Okay. Uh, all right. I need a shortstop. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the the one that you think has the best projections? Are you looking for the one that uh, has the best upside name pedigree? Are you looking for how he's done in the past uh, month? Are you looking at individual stats? Like, how, how do you actually find and filter the players that might interest you? I think some of that depends on what point of the season you're at. I think that, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, I'm really looking for, you know, different ma- difference makers, guys to make a big splash, guys, someone who might I might end up starting for five months. As you get later in the season, uh, I'm looking at short-term schedule plays. You know, if I'm looking at uh, the next, uh, if we got six weeks left in the season, I'm really looking at the next two weeks. You know, what what offenses play 15 games the next two weeks? What Who's going to cores? Who's going? Who's facing Pittsburgh and Detroit and Oakland pitching? Like, so I'm really doing short-term schedule plays. A lot of it depends, too, on what I'm replacing. If I, uh, if I have someone that's out for two weeks and I, it's a stud that I know is going to be right, be right back in, you know, say one of my outfielders gets hurt and he's going to be out. He's a 15 day deal. He's going to be back. Um, then I'm looking for short term schedule. If I lose someone for the season, if I lose Bryce Harper for two months, you know, then I'm looking for more of a difference maker, but uh, I'm usually looking for category help. 
position help and trying to fill the the spots the spots that I need. But you know, I, I, I'm mostly looking for you. Obviously, the top you're always looking for that guy that's gonna you know, you're gonna end up starting for you every week. But that's very hard to find. There are some of those that do come up, so you're always looking for that. But after that, I'm really looking for kind of short term plays, especially on the fringes. You know, maybe my my fifth outfit, my utility, my middle. I'm looking for someone that's gonna help me for the next couple of weeks. And you know, maybe if he sticks, that's great. But if not, I can figure it out after that. A really good advice. And how about the flip side of that? How do you decide when to actually cut a player? Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, underperformance, maybe there's an injury that's just going to linger too long. Like, well, how do you determine what spots you're going to have to cut the tough decisions there? I think that's something that's not talked about enough. There's a lot, we talked yeah. about there's a lot of fab content that's out there. There's not a lot of like, you know, should I cut this guy in a 12 team? It's a hard article to write. And I've, I've thought about doing it in the past. It's just hard to do because everybody's league size is different. Everybody, you know, who's available is a little bit different. Uh, but for me, um, I'm pretty stubborn with my with my top picks. You know, I, I know if you got guys that are really struggling, you got to think about it. But, you know, someone like Trevor Rogers, an example, like I'm not cutting Trevor Rogers yet. I just know the upside is there. He's been frustrating. He's not been good. Um, you look and you don't see a lot of good, but it's just, and there's enough upside there that I'm not cutting someone like that. But, you know, mid rounders who are underperforming and no real sign of breaking out, I'll dig the numbers like you know is this guy striking out more is he not hitting the ball hard you know i'll look to see what the problem is but if i don't see a clear like oh maybe he's getting a little unlucky or yeah it's coming around that mid-rounders uh, this is about the time of year where i'm willing to cut someone like that um, you know, fringe guys. So guys, we talked about before, you know, kind of churning the bottom end of the roster. Um, fringe guys that aren't useful for two weeks, I, I usually cut pretty quickly if I have a pitcher that's kind of on my fringe and, you know, he goes to at Yankee Stadium and then at Toronto. Like, I'm cutting that. I'm not going to wait three weeks for a guy who, you know, I'm not going to use for two weeks and then is kind of fringy anyway. So I'm, I'm really kind of ruthless with those guys. Offensive guys who, you know, have five games and then maybe have to face some tough pitching. Like, I'm really willing to cut those fringy guys really fast. And someone comes back to bite me. You know, that'll happen every once in a while. But I think that, uh, you know, you got to be a little bit aggressive with those fringe guys. And then this point of the season, uh, anybody who's not a star who's out for a month, I'm probably cutting. You know, you get to the point where that month turns into six weeks. And that six weeks, you get, you'll be get a little bit of rust also. And suddenly, you're, you know, you're keeping a guy for September. And I just, I'm very unwilling to do that. So I'm pretty ruthless with cutting injury guys too. Every once in a while, that comes back to bite me too. But uh, for the most part, most of those injury timeframes um, tend, to, tend to come out on the, on the long end of the time frame. And there's usually a couple weeks of rust in there too. Yeah, I mean, to preface that, uh, some of the injury talk that you mentioned, I, I agree with everything you said, just that the injury talk is pertinent to non-IL or limited IL leagues. Right? Yeah, if you, for sure. Right. I mean, uh, if you're in a, a league that has seven IL spots, five IL spots, whatever, obviously you're going to keep anybody who's injured. The cut decisions at the bottom are for more for perform- uh, underperformance, you know, uh, things like that. Um, I, I have three three rules or three things that I, I'll say about the cutting the players. Um, one is the general rule that we've mentioned in the show. If somebody's going to pick up the guy next week, you may think twice about cutting him, right? Uh, it, it's about uh, how long the guy can stay in the wire. If you're going to cut somebody who's injured and nobody's going to pick him up next week, you have a, it, 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 it's good to cut him, right? You can, you can always get him next week for nothing, uh, if that's the theory. Uh, second is opportunity cost. Uh, Ruben and I were in, were in an NFBC league, and we have Yasmani Grandal, who's been struggling, and he's been and he's injured. Uh, somebody dropped Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez, we had to decide, do we want to hold on one month of, uh, two months of Grandal for one or one month of, of Salvador Perez? You got to weigh your opportunity cost as you know as much as that. Um, third rule, um, sort of forgetting what my third rule is. I'll think of it. just <laughs> I'll come back to you, Ruve. You go first. I'll, I'll think of it later. 
Well, actually, Scott, I actually have Trevor Rogers on one of my teams, and I dropped him. I actually cut him this week. Yeah. I it was a twelve-team home league, and I just thought, you know what? If I'm not going to play him, and I, I think about not playing him when he had a two-start week. If I'm not playing playing with a two-start week, he's got a five ERA. He doesn't show any signs of turning it around. The Marlins actually have other pitchers that can take his spot in the minors at any time because they can. They can. He still has options. He's still young enough. So yep. he's a guy that I thought is personally perfect guy to cut. I didn't. I didn't have any qualms with it, and you just have to have the guts to do it. I mean, you spent a lot of of, of draft capital on him, but you know what? I, I just don't. If if you can't play him, or if you can't see a, a, any any time you're gonna actually roster him, there are other guys out there that'll be better. I mean, I had Shane Boz who I had to activate, so I activated Shane Boz and I dropped uh, Trevor Rogers. So I, th- I thought that was I thought that was okay to do. I know, obviously, I hear you. You don't you don't you still see upside on him, and there is upside on him, and someone will pick him up next week. I I have no doubt that someone will pick him up, but let him be someone else's headache. Same thing like a guy like Joey, Joey Gallo. We have him in a bunch of leagues. Do you cut him? He's such a big headache. Do you play him? Do you not play him? When you play him, he's he goes 0 for 25. When you sit him when you sit him on the bench, he'll he'll do what he did a couple nights ago and he'll, and he'll hit a couple home runs. So it, it's you know you can't tell what's going to happen. And sometimes I know Ariel, you hate this, but you have to go with your gut when you when you're cutting somebody. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned like Joey Gallo. I think that uh, what standing you are in really matters for a guy like that. If you're in first place, I have no problem cutting Joey Gallo because you need expected performance, right? You just need the roster spot to get you some amount of home runs. And Gallo, I don't know if he's he could turn into a pumpkin, right? Uh, he, I mean, he's sorry, he is a pumpkin. He could stay a pumpkin. <laughs> um, but if you're in, I don't know, fourteenth place out of out of fifteen, um. The off chance that Joey Gallo turns it on and becomes the 40-homer-per-year type guy uh, is worth it to say because you're not jumping up from 14th to 3 with expected performance. You need to get better than expected performance. So depending upon the league size, I think it makes a difference for a guy like that. And I did remember the third uh, uh, thing, that the the third uh, mantra or whatever, is uniqueness of profile. Uh, If a guy is pretty replicable on the waiver wire – it's okay to cut. If he's the type of pitcher who, yeah, they're dime a dozen, I can get a guy who throws a 4-2-5 ERA and 1-3 whip, you know, you can throw him back on the waiver wire. Uh, well, he hits power, a couple of uh, uh, RBIs, doesn't steal, th- hits 250. There's a lot of them on the waiver wire. But when you have uniqueness of profile, guy steals 10 bases, hits 10 homers, that's something interesting. Pitcher who has a very low whip, something interesting that's not readily available on the waiver wire, I'd cut them less. Yeah, and your your Rogers point is interesting because I I'm you kind of in a twelve teamer and I think that's a lot more uh, workable. I I have him a fifteen teamer and I've held so far just because every time I look, you know the the uh, the the replacement cost is not good. Like if I if I get to a point where there's two or three pitches, I'm like, oh, these guys are just better than him, then I would do it. But um, you know, fifteen teamer pitching is just so hard this year that I haven't found myself uh, finding anyone better. But uh, he's been bad. He's been frustrating. You're right. Someone will pick him up, and you know maybe it'll just never work. But um, I'm t- I tend to be a little stubborn too. You know, the difference in me with like someone like that is I liked him a lot preseason. Someone like Joey Gallo, I wasn't really drafting anyway. So if I randomly ended up on a team, I'd probably be more willing to cut someone that I wasn't super in on in the preseason. Right. That's good. That, good that we're talking about the strategy, as you said before. Like we don't talk about this kind of stuff enough. But uh, you, you definitely have to think about these these types of things, and you know. Every situation is different. Every league is different. We can't tell you uh, on the show you must drop this guy, which could only give you the guidelines and let you think about what we're talking about and make your own decision on your own based on it. Um, I want to talk about 
the amount of fab. And, of course, it's always going to be league-dependent. If you had to spend early for some reason, you had a rash of injuries, you had to spend early, we know that. But as a general rule, Scott, how much fab do you think is a good amount or the normal average amount that somebody should have right at now roughly by the All-Star break? And I'll throw in, does it matter if it's a $100 fab league versus a $1,000 fab league? Yeah, I mean, your point at the top about, uh, you know, if you get in trouble and you maybe you lost two clothes and you had to spend, like, there's a lot of ways where, you know, you, you, spending early just makes a lot of sense. And there's, I usually don't, but there's some leagues where I have, and sometimes you just kind of have, don't have a, don't have a choice there. Um, talking a thousand dollar league, um, I'm, I'm, and I'm talking thousand dollar league with no zero dollar bids. I think that's an interest, that's a, a really important point to a lot of teams. You can, a lot of leagues, you can bid zero dollars, so you can keep picking guys up. And you're not stuck. And whereas uh, in NFBC, you got a thousand dollars. If you go to zero, you don't get to pick anybody else up. So if someone gets hurt, you can not replace them so the zero dollar bids uh means is a big difference i'm way more willing to go low when when there's zero dollar bids but in a a thousand dollar league with uh with no zero dollar bids i'd probably want about uh 350 to 400 right now something like that i understand that's probably a little higher than most people have or most people uh, like to have but i like to be able to control uh fab the next uh, two and a half months i like to be able to pick someone if someone does uh someone bad someone makes a bad drop i want to be able to swoop in and and bid on that player if there's uh you know rookie gets called up uh if i need some stolen bases someone gets called up i need two star pitchers i like to be able to control uh the end game a little bit so my my ballpark uh range it varies by team and so much changes but uh i'd say 350 to 400 at the all-star break is usually my goal somewhere in there yeah, that, that's pretty close. So I, I would generally say roughly a third, uh, maybe a drop more. And I, I like, like you, I, I earn the side of having a little bit more fab. Ruben, I think you agree with that, right? 100% I agree. And you know what? If your team is not doing that well, you should have spent more money already. Because if what are you going to do? Spend all your money in September when you're out of it already? This is yep. the time to spend it. You, you, you're going to have it left on the bench anyway. You're not going to use it if you're going to be out of it. So if you have it, use it. And you should have about, if you have 300 300 350 even 400 left, you'll have plenty of fab for the rest of the year. Plenty. So one thing I want to ask, Scott, uh, two, two of these things, do they come in play when you're making fab bids? One is previous league history, meaning you know you, you know the guys in the league, they bid a certain amount on a certain player. Do you look at what people have been doing for the past year? Do you look at previous years and making fab bids? And the other question is, do you actively look at how much fab is left by each team? So if everybody is is really using fab, does that mean that you probably should have used more fab up to now? And if everybody is holding fab, they've got 500 left, probably means you should have gone lower. So what do you think about those two things? I don't I don't worry about the fact of, you know, do I have too much or do I have too little? But I do look at it. I'd probably say more look at it maybe the last couple of months of the season. Uh, I definitely look at uh, who has the most fab uh, left at that point too. Because sometimes you have some teams that are in – you know, 12th, 13th, 14th of the place, they have a bunch of fab. You're like, yeah, they're probably not going to use it. Every once in a while, those teams come out of the, come, you know, have the Undertaker meme and come out come out of the coffin and, and bid a bunch one week. But for the most part, you can kind of, uh, you know, factor those teams out a little bit. And they're, you know, especially these last two months, if there's if there's teams that are close to me and I know they have very little fab, you know, maybe I can I can drop down my bid a little bit because they can't go really high for players. So I do look at that. In terms of previous league history, um, I would say only for the bigger bids. I don't really worry about that normally. But if, uh, you know, there was a closer that they, there was a, there was a available a month ago i'll look and see you know what were people bidding what was the backup bid how much did someone bid on that if there's a rookie that gets called up um, we had riley green a couple weeks ago and when vinnie p was called up i I took a look at the riley green bids like you know what were we looking at a couple weeks ago what did people bid was there did someone bid 300 nobody else bid more than 50 what was the backup in there so um i would say i don't use it a ton but on on the bigger bids and late in the season i do use that as a a tool to kind of figure out and maybe uh, maybe mold my bids a little bit to help me out 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't. It's not the gospel, but uh, you know, it does flavor my thoughts a little bit. And why not? You know, just take a look at the history of all right. What was the max bid on a closer this year? You know, that kind of thing could could be helpful. As far as looking at other people in the league, I, I always tell people more like in the draft season for uh, the auction style uh, draft or or salary cap, whatever they call it these days. Um, you always want to be or aim to be somewhere in the middle because uh, from an economic standpoint, it's about purchasing power. Uh, if you have too fewer dollars than everybody else, when somebody comes up for bid that you might be interested on, your money doesn't go as far as the other teams because you're short. And, of course, if you didn't bid enough, it means that you probably didn't use your money well enough in the beginning. So you generally, not always, because obviously if good bids come up, you want to do it. And if outrageous bids come up, you want to steer away. But as a general rule, you want to be somewhere in the middle from the economic rule of purchasing power. And it's sort of like that with FAB. Yes, there are the outlier teams or the teams that are in 15th place that if they have $700 out of 1000 left, who the hell cares? But you want to stay somewhat in pack so that when you have the last couple of weeks when you're picking up the fill-in starters, the two-star pitchers, the this, that you have as much purchasing power or more as everybody else. Ruben, anything to add? Yeah, I actually want to add something to that. Uh, along with the whole, no, you have to know the market, what's going on with, with with other teams as well. I'm not saying look at each individual team, but if you know that you, we use Sal Perez already as an example. You knew Sal Perez went on the IL. He's done. You know that team is going to need another catcher. And let's say you need a catcher. Let's say your second catcher got hurt. You know that you're going to have to pay a little bit more or you have to you know, plan to pay a little bit more for that catcher that you want just in case you get left out in the dark. Because if, let's say you want a closer and you see another guy's closer went out. Let's say the Braves closer went out and, and, and Kenley Jansen's on the aisle and you, you need the replacement and you want to try to get the replacement. Whoever has Kenley Jansen is going to want to spend more money on Fab to get that replacement. So you have to understand how much you have to pay based on how much money you have and based on how much money they have left yeah that's a super point that it, you, yep. if you if you need a shortstop look at look at who else needs a shortstop in your league uh and that should be a factor uh, as to how much you bid right you always need to see what the other teams are looking for if they all have two healthy catchers then they're not going to be bidding on a catcher you can go lower on your fab and if three people need catchers you probably have to bid higher that that's de definitely a good rule um, in terms of specifics, in terms of dollar amount, and again, all these, of course, it's all league dependent. We can only tell you some general guidelines and have you tilt up or down based on your specific situation. But uh, how much do you bid on streaming players? So uh, let's start with like starting pitchers, for example. If you see uh, a pitcher that has a really good start this week or even better, two good starts, a two-star pitcher, how much do you bid on FAB in general? Like, What are your guidelines for how you place your bids? For me, it really depends on on who it is. Like, if it's someone that I think I can conceivably keep, you know, if they pitch well, do I want to keep them? Then I bump that bit up a little. Someone like I don't really like this guy, but he's got two. He's placing Pittsburgh and Detroit this week. Then I, you know, probably less than I used to. Uh, I think the two star pitchers, the ones on the waiver wire, especially in a fifteen team, are, are more risky than they used to be. Um, you know, especially more risky than they were in April when everybody was throwing gems. But um, you know, I always prefer it to be someone I could conceivably keep longer than this week. And uh, you know, whether whether I think it's someone that uh, that I can do that with really uh, impacts my bid. But um, you know, and you look at like future two star pitchers. You asked about that. You know, I'm not a. I try and uh, I try and not go a ton on those guys. You know, the appeal for me of, of going a week early on someone is that the fact that I can get them cheaper. So if I exactly. like get some, if I can get someone cheap that is is pitching, you know, twice in two weeks or like uh, a while ago, I added Nick Lodolo because he was you know is about to come off the IL. But I, I only want to do that if I can get them cheap. If I had to pay for them, like I don't want to pay ahead of time, sit the guy, and then maybe start them the next week. But if I can get someone cheap, um, you know, the whole point of getting someone early is just sliding them through for 
or ten bucks less than it would be the week the week later. So, um, but less than I used to is my answer on starting pitching, just because I feel like they are super risky for blowups these days. Um, what I'm going to do is, you know, if I get down the last six weeks, I need wins and, and K's. Maybe the last two months, then maybe I'll bump that up a little bit. But I, I try and unless I'm way way behind in wins and K's, I try not to uh, delve in that market too much. And I think that I've changed that from what I did probably three or four years ago. Yeah, and pitching is so much worse that uh, yeah. what are you paying for in the wire now? You're paying for garbage. Uh, why would you pay for it? And, uh, you know, the use of middle relievers. I, I never had middle relievers in my lineup, but, I, I mean, I'm Michael King. I Every week I find some leagues I, I'm using instead of a stupid seventh starter. Uh, not stupid. Yeah. Instead of a, a risky seventh starter. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, um, anything to add, Ruben? Yeah, I also think that you have to see if they have a high K rate because you because I mean if you're if you're looking for a two star pitcher at this point you probably need wins and your ERA and WHIP are usually not that great so if you're trying to protect your ERA and WHIP then yes the Michael King is the way to go and stay away from the two star pitchers because as we'll get through and then later in the show we'll talk about the two star pitchers there's nothing really appetizing out there also you have to understand what's the league um, what's going on with the, with the actual schedule going on for for baseball coming the All Star breaks coming up there are no future two star pitchers. So you have to keep that in mind, and you have to know that if whoever's going to be starting two starts this week is probably going to be starting two starts the following week. So you may get um, an added bonus of, of those guys. So you have to see how the how the schedule plays out, and also if you want to get the strikeouts and not worry about ERA and WHIP, then go after those two start guys. It's a, it's a really good point on the strikeouts too. With the two star pitchers, I really want a guy to get strikeouts because I know even if he struggles a little bit ratios, at least he's going to give me something. There's nothing worse than picking up the guy with the you know, the 17% K rate who struggles and gives you six strikeouts total in your two-star week. Like, I, I, I almost always want to get someone at least they're going to give me that, if nothing else. Yeah, I, I advocated last week that if you're in a league that ERA and whip are sunk, pick up Patrick Corbin to start. What the heck? You'll get a, a nice amount of strikeouts, if nothing else, right? It's got to help you. Uh, better than nothing, right? Um, what, what do you do for Scott? What do you do for uh, streaming hitters? If you see, you know, you, you need a replacement and hitter has some good matchups, probably only going to use them one week. We're talking about like 0.5 to to one percent of your budget. Is that like a the right amount? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good number. You know, guys that I see, oh, they got eight games this week. You know, five games in the first half. You know, NFBC, for example, you can use you can switch hitters in and out on Friday. So, you like a five game half week is really important. Or if, you know, like I said, someone's going to Colorado facing Pittsburgh, facing bad pitching. Yeah, but those are like you know those are twelve to seventeen dollar bids. If it's someone I like that I'm definitely going to use this week, and then you know see what happens after that. If I'm just getting a catcher and I, my catcher's got five games a week, I, don't, I want to drop him. Like then I'm picking some up. That's a two three dollar bid. I'm not spending a lot of money on that. But you know someone that I really like this week that I'm going to use for the whole week. Yeah, I don't know at a thousand dollar budget. You know anywhere from twelve to twenty bucks somewhere in there is usually kind of my ballpark for that kind of player. But but I I I'd throw something in there. If this guy's been on the waiver wire for months and no one's picked him up, you probably can put in a little lower bid only because he's been on the waiver wire forever and you don't have to spend that much money. Don't, the whole point is you shouldn't overspend on that one week guy to pick up to play a couple more games. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point too. I mean, obviously nobody's wanted the guy. The only thing I would say to that is that's changed a little bit recently because a lot of these articles that are they're out now focus on the, the really good streaming matchups this week. So I found that those guys are a little bit harder to sneak than they used to be. But uh, you are right. If a guy's been out there forever, um, you don't want to go crazy on someone that you know people have had you know fifteen teams have had ten chance to pick up and haven't. So that, that's a good point too. All right, before we talk about our next topic, it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week. 
So now we're actually going to be talking about picking up closers and potential closers on the waiver wire. So my trivia is this. I'm going to give you the stat line of two players on the same team. Can you name the team and name the two players? First stat line for this reliever, a K per nine of 11.8, a strand rate of 76%, a, a walk per nine rate of 1.54, and a 194 batting average against. That's one pitcher. The second pitcher, a K rate of nine of, per nine, 9.56, a strand rate of 71%, a walk per nine rate of five, and an average against of 203. Which team are these two players playing for? And who would you want to pick up for your team? Am I supposed to go first? Yes, you can go first. Uh, that's really hard. I'm just going to go, uh, since we're talking closers, we're talking situations maybe that might be in turmoil. I'm going to go with Atlanta and say that's A.J. Yeah. Minter and Will Smith. Bingo. Ding, ding, yeah. ding. The, oh. first, <laughs> the first, first player I mentioned with a higher K rate is A.J. Minter. Second guy is Will Smith. But in most fabs last week or the week before, Will Smith went for more fab money in general than AJ Minter. So I actually ended up with a lot of shares of AJ Minter because I put in for both just to you know to keep everyone honest. But if you look back at what they've done done recently, Will Smith had a bunch of saves last year when they won the World Series. He's got three saves in the last week, and AJ Minter has two saves in the last week. And guess what? Kenley Jansen may be back July 12th. That's next week. So you may have spent all that money on those guys. Is it worth it to even roster those types of players? Is it worth it to get those worth it to get those potential closers at this point? I mean, I was I had bids in, but I was very low. I was in the single digits, low double digits for both uh, Smith and Minter. Just it was one of those things that if I can get them really cheap, I'll use them for a week. But I was not spending a bunch of money on them. Who are you higher on, by the way, for 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 this past week? Just curious. Uh, I actually had I, I think I like Minter more as a pitcher, but I thought the usage on Smith would be more towards the ninth inning. Um, wrong so far. I think Minter got the only save they've had this week, and they get a save yesterday. Um, so I had I had Smith like a couple bucks higher, but I I would say that Minter is definitely the pitcher I like more. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. I was on Minter the whole way. Look, just look at those numbers. Minter is a better pitcher, but Will Smith, recency bias. Will Smith had a bunch of saves last year. They're both lefties. But the question, yeah. but the thing is, Atlanta has a ton of lefties in their bullpen. So even if you're looking at that, whether the lefty righty and they're closing, if the team has a bunch of lefties, it doesn't matter if they're lefty. If they only have one lefty and the possible closer, like let's say, I, I mentioned this before, AJ Puck, he's a lefty in the athletics bullpen. The chances of him closing now are slim because he's the only lefty in that bullpen. But an Atlanta a situation like this, if if there are a bunch of lefties or there are a bunch of righties, it doesn't matter who's going to close. I, I would take the guy 100% of the time who has the better peripheral numbers like that because even if they don't get the closing job, they will give, still help with your statistics. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, the Oakland closing situation, I know uh, people bid on Trevino and whatnot. Um, you know, what, what kind of bid was – what kind of bid do you think would have been appropriate last week for a Trevino, let's say? Uh, I, I think he's the guy because I think they want to showcase him and trade him. But, man, I just I hate closers who walk a lot of guys. So I was uh, – if uh, where I needed saves, I think like something like in the 20s was probably good. But that probably wasn't getting him. I just – I was staying away. I'm not a big uh, – I'm not a big Luchavino fan. Um, I hope he does well for a while so the A's can trade him. Obviously, I'm an A's fan, so that would be great. But, you know, you look, at a, you look at a whip over two. You look at a lot of walks. There's nothing more frustrating than a guy that comes in and walks the first guy in a one-run lead. So – um, I had uh, I had some bids, but it was just a, it was very small. Just in case I got him, I would use him for a couple weeks. But I was not someone I was targeting. Right, and a guy like uh, Gratterall, for example, uh, maybe uh, Kimbrel's a bit hurt. Uh, also, that kind of small bid, did it make sense? 
I'm, uh, I'm actually mad at myself. I had Gratterall in my bids underneath Will Smith, and I read a quote at like 6 o'clock on Sunday from Dave Roberts saying, A, he's fine, uh, Klimbo's fine. B, he's the guy no matter what. It'd be crazy for me to take him out of the role because you know, he had been struggling uh, a little bit. The whip's a little high, and but now he's hurt. Um, I wish I had Gratterall because uh, Gratterall was something I actually would be more interested in than, than Trevino. The, the walk rate's uh, lower, strikes out a lot of guys, and just on a really – I mean, the problem with the A's is they don't win any games. The Dodgers right. win – you know, three, four, five games every single week. So uh, I, uh, I'm actually mad at myself. I did not leave Gretel and I should not have trusted the, uh, I saw the Kimbrel line drive off him. Um, it seemed a little weird that he would be that fine that quick, but you know, I took what the manager said at face value and I was wrong, but uh, it'd be nice to have Gretel right now. I, I, I'd like to have that. Yeah. I picked up Gretel and GDD with Derek Cardi. Uh, we, we just, it was one of those weeks that we needed live pitchers and we didn't like anybody on the waiver wire. So we just picked up a bunch of middle relievers and stuff like that. And Hey, we got lucky. We got Gratterall as one of them. You know, it, it, the thing about middle relievers is when you pick somebody who's the next in line, you never know they can turn into that. And you know, my question to you, Scott, is do you ever look for ne- next in line guys just to throw in? Like, do, do you, are you looking for the middle relievers that have great ratios or are you giving a little bit more precedence on uh, pr- preference on your team to guys who are more next in line. I feel like the next in line has changed over the last five years. It used to be like, you know, here's the closer. If he gets hurt, here's option B. And that, I think that's gone away. There's a lot of teams that if their guy gets hurt, they're going to go to committee. So it's a little bit of both for me. Um, I definitely want to pick someone who's pitching well. And, uh, you know, I want some strike in there. So if I, I need to use him for a week, if I, you know, suddenly I have a couple stars to get hurt or I got to come, you know, two guys going to cores or something like that. I want to be able to use the guy. So while I do want the next in line person, I'm, I'm not picking up anyone that I don't think is, uh, you know, is actually workable as a pitcher too. So I also like to pick up guys that are behind closes I don't love. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to pick up the guy that's behind uh, Liam Hendrickson. Obviously Hendricks got hurt, so that would have worked. But um, I try and at least pick up uh, the, the next in line guy behind someone who I think might, uh, has a chance to lose the job and the leash isn't super long. And do you, stay, do you stay away from certain teams? Like, do you stay away from the Orioles? Do you stay away from the Nationals? Do you stay away from, I wouldn't say the Pirates at this point until Bednar gets traded, but would you stay away from certain teams in this situation? Also, would you rather have that second-in-line guy on a good team as opposed to a possible closer like a Hunter Strickland on the Reds? Yeah, I, I would. I just, I'd rather have that. I mean, I guess, you know, Strickland seems like he maybe is in the role a little more than not, but I, I try and avoid the, I definitely don't want a next in line guy that's on a team that uses a committee anyway, because say, uh, you know, I guess Danny Jimenez got hurt and Trevino kind of worked in, but like anything kind of midi wise, I don't want a next in line guy there. Because if I, if I get the break where, you know, maybe the the closer struggles or goes on the IL, um, I certainly don't want to have held someone that ends up not getting the job. So rolling here and uh, on to another category of prospects. Um, Ruben and I are generally do not spend a lot on redraft in redraft leagues on prospects. The probability of a prospect being worth the fab that you pay is pretty low. Sure, you have those Juan Sotos that work out. You have, uh, you know, it, it happens. But in general, they usually don't work out, and that's why we don't usually bid. Uh, or we'll bid a keep honest bid, but you know, often that fails. When there's the fab of Paloozas, we generally stay away, and that's a week we can just get the hot players and focus on all everybody else. What's your stance on on prospects? Should you be bidding on them? I mean, Alec Manoa's come, but you know, usually they're busts. What do, what do you think? Yeah, for everyone that, that that does well, there's a long, long list of guys that and people end up dropping two weeks later. I am very, 
Um, in an NFBC type league where you get seven bench spots, no IL, I'm very against drafting prospects, so I very, very rarely do it. If I do, it's a guy that I know is going to start, is going to be there, and all this kind of happens. I I'm, I'm very rarely pick someone that's going to be in the minors for a month or you know the, the Super 2 or the, the, uh, the time service stuff. I, I, I avoid those people because not only you got to wait six weeks, but they may not even be great um, you know, when they get called up. Uh, in terms of bidding, um, I, I'd rather bid on them than draft them, um, you know, but they do come with a lot of downside risk, and I understand that. Uh, if I do pay for them, uh, for me, you know, it's hard. Every, every person's different. Every player's different. But I like uh, I like young pitchers who come up who don't walk a lot of guys. If I get someone who are, I already is walking guys in the minors, and no matter how hyped they are, how many guys they strike out, I tend to stay away from guys like that. When you get in the majors, that is really, really exposed. So if I'm if I'm pinning for a pitcher that uh, they can, does, it keeps the walk rate down. I do like that a little more when it comes to prospects. And the same on hitters. I like guys who don't K a lot. There's so many players. We talk about them. I do the podcast on Sunday with Jeff Erickson. We always talk about, oh, this guy, you know, he came to the majors and his strikeout rate went up 8%. So um, if a guy's already at 25% in the minors, like I usually shy away from guys like that because I know it's going to jump to 31, 32% at least the first time through the league. Um, I So if I if I can get a guy who who's shown that he doesn't strike out a lot, you know, I know it's going to jump up a little bit to it, like a Vinny P this week. Like I really, I, I, I was I was in on that just because he didn't strike out in the minors, has a good, uh, good plate discipline, and that usually translates pretty well to the majors. So um, I'm probably with you guys for the most part. I don't tend to pay for prospects in, in fab, but if I do, it's either a hitter doesn't strike out a lot or a pitcher doesn't walk a lot of guys. Yeah, I generally agree. Other than, as I mentioned before, if you are in a position where you need a boost, you're in 10th place and you ain't going to cash, what the hell? You know, just give it a shot. I, I know there was one league where I, I, I picked up Bryson Stott. What the hell? He, he has a bunch <laughs> of homers. You know, you're not going to win anything if you don't get a boost. So on the off chance that that guy is the thing, and they're playing, of course, they have to be playing. Uh, you know, that's really what the story is. Um, you know, I was going to ask you, Ruvain, um, in terms of uh, the uh, – sometimes you have these drop players. Like we mentioned, like Salvador Perez was dropped. You know, or occasionally you get a guy that he just has so many injuries and there's other star player or a very playable player. Uh, how much do you bid when you have these star players? Like uh, it, it, somebody that you know could be like a I don't know seventh, eighth round player, really, really valuable to you. Is that something where you just say, "Man, I got to spend twenty percent of my fab right now because there ain't anybody else on the wire." And I guess more in mono leagues, that's the thing to do is to spend a lot. But in mixed leagues, are you for that? Are spending like twenty percent? What's the right amount for that? I think it depends on it's a case by case situation. Like what we did, we dropped Yasmani Grandal for Salvador Perez. He was just dropped and he's injured and we know he's gonna be out for a while. So we know we don't have to spend that much money on him. But let's say earlier in the year a Jesse Winker was dropped because he was struggling or, or a player like that. How much money would you spend? Again, it depends on your on your situation. If you need an outfielder, your outfielders are injured. You need an outfielder, you need a boost. You, I would, I'm, I'll be willing to spend twenty percent. It's, it, listen, when it comes to picking up players, I think there are three P's: playing time, pedigree, and power. Power either home runs or power with strikeouts. I think those. That's, I think it's a golden rule. I think you go by that. And if they have a history, they have a pedigree. I would, I would really be willing to spend that money, especially if it's the pedigree is not that long ago. Like, like again, Sal Perez, you're gonna get, you're gonna get at least maybe, maybe one month of good playing time at him. You get one month of good playing time at him. I'd rather that than having a Yasmani Grandal injured or the the replacement value on him. So I think it, I think it's really on a case by case basis in general. What did you, what did you get, what did you guys get Perez for? Maybe forty. I'm trying to remember. Is that a twelve or a fifteen teamer? Fifteen teamer. Fifteen, 15, yeah. 15 team in NFBC. And I'll you're, 
your goal is you're probably you, you, your dream in that nice scenario you'd be able to have him like August 10th something like that August 15th somewhere in there mid-August for September that that's the goal yeah. and we had Yasmina Grandal and any other catcher we were streaming catchers yeah. so um, we we're streaming catchers anyway so what's the point why not just take that risk on him we have room on our bench stick him there but the, if you don't have room on your bench then you can't do that obviously I was, that was that was gonna be like, that was gonna be my question. Are you are you starting him or are you putting him on the bench for now? Bench, bench. Okay, so you're not you're not taking you're not taking the zero opportunity no. cost. You're taking no. the, you're taking the third catcher bench the bench spot. Okay, that's correct. Yeah, because because he's a, he's a first or sec, uh, second or third round player. Yeah, if he comes back, he's a second or third round player. I'd rather have a second round or third round value for that last month month and a half than a replacement player value for catcher at that point. Yeah, if you have if you don't have the massive amount of injuries on your team right. and you have the fungible, you know, you got four or five batter slots, I think a first round player for a month with 3 months to go is worth a roster spot and we spent by the way $24 on him out yeah. of 1000. Not and the nice part about that is, like, if you do get a bunch of injuries, you spent twenty four. I'm like, you, if you had to, you could drop him back. It's yeah. not like you spent right. two forty on him. You're like, oh, I gotta hold this guy no matter what. So, um, yeah, at twenty four bucks, I think that's a good shot. And if you that's find right. yourself not having injuries, you hold him and you play him for six weeks, and it's, uh, I mean, you're getting a you're getting a huge uh, huge upgrade at catcher. And if not, um, you know, get you get five injuries, all of a sudden you can drop him back. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, you don't. We didn't need Salvador Perez, so you don't want to spend that much if you don't need him you only want to go over if you do otherwise you want to get a high return on investment as i always say on the show a high return on investment either comes from a good return or from a low investment if you're spending very little you don't have to make that much on the player right as long as you make something it'll be worth the roster spot uh and stuff like that um what do you bid on a struggling player you know somebody drops joey gallo and i don't know in a 20 team league you know uh what do you what do you bid on him? Because uh, on the offhand, well, he's a known player, could hit forty homers, uh, but at some point, um, you know, maybe maybe he's a maybe he's a bust. But you take a gamble on him. What what what, what is that worth a, a big bid in your opinion, Scott? Uh, I'm one who likes uh, when people drop struggling players, but for me, it really depends on who the player is. If it's oh, someone like Joey Gallo, where I wasn't drafting him anyway, I'm probably not being all that aggressive about him. But if it's someone that I liked, and um, you know, I, I, Trevor Rogers probably be a good example. Like I liked him preseason. If he got dropped, I would definitely, I'd definitely be in on him just to kind of go for the upside. I know that some people are done with him, uh, but yeah, Jesse Winker, I, I loved last year. I didn't like going to Seattle, so that example is probably tough. But if it's someone that I liked preseason, I was like, oh, I wish I had drafted him, and he gets they struggle for two months, and gets dropped. I'm usually pretty aggressive with guys like that because it usually it's usually someone that uh, you know had some success, has some pedigree, was has done it in the past. Where we're talking about picking up prospects, like, I don't know what's happening, but if it was someone like that, I know they've done it before. Um, you know, I, I like the chances of them to bounce back. I'm usually pretty aggressive with someone who is, is, is like an early drop like that. Right? Do you do you budget fab uh, in the year? Meaning, like, do you say I want to have you know two to three percent for each week for the weekly pickups, and then I have a a spending spree so that when I need it during the year, or maybe do you have a budget for closers during the year? Do you have any kind of budgeting that you do? Um, I don't. I usually kind of just look at my number at the start of every week, and I know if I'm you know high or low, or I need to pull back. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's so it's, if you lose a closer, like you kind of that goes out the window. So my my goal is to not have to spend on closers. I usually try and get like two and a half closers in the draft in a fifteen teamer, and then uh, you know. But obviously, you know, I think I took I think I took Will Smith early on in, in one league and, and the TGFBI, so that that got blown out of the water, you know, already this year. But it depends on. Uh, I, I try and more like have benchmarks for you know where I am and you know. The start 
start of August, start of September, start of the All-Star break. And if I'm kind of in that range, I don't really worry about it. You know, every week is so different. There's some weeks where, you know, I, if I get someone, I spend I spend 100 bucks, But if I don't, I spend 12 So it's just uh, I want to be able to uh, be aggressive the last two months. That's kind of my, uh, my only benchmark with how much I have. So funny with Will Smith that uh, the ATC projections – had him as the least risky player uh, in terms of the uh, – there was the smallest differentiation between the underlying projections that feed ATC with Will Smith's numbers. Like everyone said, ah, he's a safe closer, he's a safe closer. And, of course, he was the most unsafe closer when you have a top closer coming to the team. Just unbelievable how his price went up because of the stability. But yep. yet he realized just an oddball case. Um Okay, uh, question is, uh, I'll go to Ruben first. Uh, do you, what do you do when you make the exact bid? Like, if you're talking more $1,000 leagues, um, you know, if you're bidding roughly $20, do you say, I'm going to bid on the nines, 19? Do you say, I'm going to bid exactly 20? I'm always going to bid 21. Do you vary it and say, one week I'll do the twos, I'll do 22, then I'll do, uh, thir- you know, if you're bidding 30, next week I'm going to do ones yeah do, do you vary it like how, how does that work with your exact bidding do you make it random is there any rhyme or reason to your madness i think it's i think it's the best to do completely random because then no one can predict what you're doing what i would do is look at other people's te- other people's bids during the course of the season and i find that they have a similar way of bidding then you just follow it and then you see okay you know what i think this is going to go this way and i'll i can bid maybe a little less or a little more, but sometimes I'll just put a random bid. Like I'll say, you know what? I really like this guy. Let me bid, I don't know, $37. Then I'll then toward I'll do that on Friday. And then on Sunday I'll think, wait a second, I will start everyone else second guesses on Sunday right before the or right before the deadline. And I'll say, you know what? Maybe they can, they can do thirty-six. Maybe they can do thirty-nine. There's I don't think there's a really rhyme or reason. I don't think there's anything that's to it except for the fact that what you think you can Gather as much information of what you know from the league so far and just try to keep yourself as random as possible so no one can predict what you're doing. What do you do, Scott? I, I agree on that. I try and mix it up so I'm not the same every time in case anyone's like really studying my bids. But I think that's another one of those things that has changed the last five years. It felt like there have been about 900 articles that tell people not to bid on the zeros and fives. So I think that used to be a lot of people just bid 10, 15, 20. And I think that's another one that's changed. You used to be able to get away with going 21, 22, and people like, you know, you, you'd win a you'd win a couple more players a year than you thought you should have just because everybody go 20. I think that's changed. Um, but yeah, I usually don't go zeros and fives just because I don't know. It just feels, uh, I, I go a little more random than I switch it up. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm one who goes you know I I, I go out of eight because I think people tend to end in seven sometimes, but uh, it's probably uh, there's probably no rhyme or reason to it anymore. I think people I think people are more random with that than they used to be, um, and that's kind of what I follow too. Yeah, they're totally more random, and they used to not be. Um, yeah. I would say though that like I remember when I when I was taking the actuary exams, I would notice that uh, I did a study, and I don't know why I did the study, but uh, B was the most frequent answer on the multiple choice test. I don't know why the question makers did it. They whatever reason B was the most frequent. So uh, when I would not know the, the answer to a question, uh, you know, obviously it's a one fourth chance you would think, but I said on the off chance that there's something to it or they're intentionally doing that, I just wrote B B B. So if there was let's say out of fifty questions, maybe eight questions I didn't know, I would just go B B B B B instead of guessing all over the board. And I think that makes sense. Here is you should take a look and see what the most frequent number of that particular year is in your league, and then add one or add two. You know, just for the off chance that they're all not thinking about it and, oh, they've just got two in their mindset, just make it three or four. Uh, you know, just so to do a study and take a look. It doesn't have to be in-depth. Just take a look at a couple of previous week's bids. Just add one or two. It's worth it to do that 10 seconds of math 
on the off chance that there's some rhyme or reason to them and it's not random and you'll pick up on that, you know? Yeah. And we, we talk about, we talk about bid numbers a lot. And I think the just final point here is just, I think that the key and the kind of what I do is when I'm by making that final bid is when I check, when I check the bid results, you know, 10 minutes after they, they, the deadline or anything, I want it to feel if I win a guy that I'm happy about it. Like a lot of times if I, if I'm in a bid where I'm like, I don't really want to win this one, then I, I, I lower that right away. If I, I want to feel good about the bid, I, the bid I have that what I win someone for. And I think that that's, it's kind of a good way. It saved me some money at the time. Look at, I'm like, like if, if, the, if the results come up and I see that I won this guy for 43, like I'm kind of going to be cringy about it. So if I if I am that way, I drop that a little bit. It's a, it's kind of a good rule that's that saved me some money. Like, are are you happy that let's say uh, you put an 83 for a player and the next highest bid is four? Are you happy then because you got um, the player? I'm usually pissed, but I'm okay. I tend to 83 to four. I'm pissed if it's like 23 to four. I don't really care. But yeah, if I right. if it's more than if I'm in the you know 50s, 60s, 70s, I'm like, what did I miss here? And no one is on the player. Uh, I'm usually pretty upset about that. But if I'm if I'm anywhere under 30 and like there's no backup bid, I usually don't lose too much sleep about that. Right. And the last question in terms of Fab is, do you believe in keep honest bids? Well, everybody's got a bid on this guy, so I'll throw five dollars on it, or I'll throw 15 if everybody's gonna throw 150. Do you believe in those keep honest bids, or just ah, don't even bother? Sure, I probably do it. I mean, I probably, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, if it's someone I don't really want, I won't do it. But yeah, if it's someone that I that I like, but I know I'm not going to win, I'll throw it in there just in case. You know, weirdly, my league, you know, nobody bids on them. I'll throw someone in. If someone's going for a home for a hundred, I'll throw, you know, twenty, thirty bucks on them just to just in case. You know, everybody in my league happen to not want them too. But I don't, I don't do it too much. But yeah, I'll do it just uh, just in case. But it's usually like, oh, I have there's three other guys below him that I think I'm going to get, and I really focus on those, knowing I'm not going to get the top guy. Right. All right, before we go on to waiver wire, uh, we'll do a little section of what we call holds and folds. Uh, that's not doesn't have to be a guy that you can pick up on the waiver wire, but hold is somebody that you think is probably going to be better than people think, uh, and fold somebody that maybe people roster or you know just get rid of him. They ain't performing, uh, and you know things like that. Uh, all right, let's go around the room and uh, let's, let's put some ideas together in terms of holds and folds. Uh, Scott, what is a hold for you? Who's a player that you think? Uh, probably better that people should uh, look at and say, hmm, it's going to be better than we think. Yeah, probably mine's a little more in a trade league because it's someone that's, that's that's rostered in most spots. But I'm uh, I'm actually really high on the second half for Matt Chapman right now. I know it's been a it's been a struggle in Toronto. He's hit 225, but he does have 13 home runs, 40 uh, 40 RBIs, and 304 plate appearances. I just like a lot of the the the, the underlying stuff. He's hitting the ball really hard. Hearted rates 51 percent. Barrel rates almost 14 percent. Most important to me is his K's are down. When Matt Chapman's good, um, it's usually because he drops the K's. When he's bad, it's usually he's striking out way way too much. Strikeout rates down 8 percent to 24 percent right now swinging strike rates down three percent it's just over ten percent right now the k rates dropped every month i think he's getting comfortable in toronto hitting in a good lineup i think he you know probably pressed that first month you know you're trying to hit a home run to impress the crowd every single time you're up in after you sign the you know get traded and and, and sign for some money um career babbitt's 289 he's at 257 right now i think that's going to come around a little bit he had 264 in june 24 21 runs 15 rbis in the month uh, i think if you can uh, if you can make a trade for him uh, you know kind of playing on that 225 average right now I think you get a nice windfall in the second half. Yeah, I like it. He could be a 30 home run player by the end of the year, so that's a good good pick. Ruvain, yours? Yeah, I got a, I got a few. First of all, Jake Cronenworth, he's been underperforming all year, but he's eligible everywhere. So he's a guy you just have to hold on because he will be your quote-unquote backup guy. He may turn around, he may not, but you can always, can, you know, if you have a hole, he can always fill it in. And that's pretty good. Miles Straw, I think... I think he's still a hold for me. I'm very close to folding on him. I did have him in one league, and I traded him away for John Gray, which I'm very happy about. 
Um, but Miles Straw is a stolen base guy. He's batting 194 right now. He's getting very close to that Billy Hamilton site uh, with batting average without as many stolen bases. But people usually look for stolen bases in August and September. So if you drop him, someone's going to pick him up in a second. So I think you have to hold on to him for a little longer. Um, as an, another hitter, I think is a fold, and this is going to come as a shock to some people, Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz is batting 240 with eight home runs. Michael Chavis, who's available in the waiver wire, is batting 245 with nine home runs. Victor Caratini has seven home runs, batting 246. Nelson Cruz is in most leagues only eligible in the in DH or utility spot. He takes up a roster spot. I think he's a guy you can drop because he's replaceable. He is 100% replaceable, and he frees up the rest of your roster. I think it's a good idea. And so another guy to hold, actually, is Walker Bueller. There is a chance he will come back by September, and if he comes back in September, it's a good team. He may come out of the bullpen. He may be a, a big advantage for the for the Dodgers down the stretch. I think if you're thinking about dropping him, I wouldn't drop him just yet. Well, Nelson Cruz is on a bad lineup, and who knows if they trade away Josh Bell. So that could be going really sour really quickly. Um, my hold here, I'll pick another Blue Jay here, Bo Bichette. I kind of think that he had a very underperforming first half. 257 average, really low for him. He's actually never had any single season below 298. And if you look at his underlying skills, nothing's really changed much. A few more Ks, but he has more walks as well. Um, and stolen bases, only five so far this year. I kind of think that he could turn it on in September. So to me, Bo Bichette is a hold. And by the way, he homered the other day, so... Maybe he's on track as we speak. Uh, before we do f- f- folds for you, Scott, um, uh, Ruben mentioned Miles Straw. You know, that's close to a Billy Hamilton profile, but he, he has 13 stolen bases on the year, which obviously today is somewhat valuable. Is he a profile that you're holding at all? Um, I mean, what, what kind of league would you actually use a guy who's batting below 200, no RBIs, zero home runs, and but he has 13 steals, the literally definition of a one-dimensional category? Yeah, my biggest concern was Straw, and he was someone that I wanted no part of in drafts. I kind of built my draft so I didn't have to take Miles Straw in the whatever he went seventh, eighth round. My biggest concern on Straw is he's hitting ninth, and it just makes it, uh, he gets, you know, that's one less uh, plate appearance a game, less chances to get on base. Uh, you know, in the first with nobody in front of him and steal. It's really, for me, it depends on how your team is doing in steals. If you happen to pick up John Birdie, you're doing really well in steals, I think you drop him. If you're in the middle of the pack, I think you have to hold Straw because he could you know, he could have a 10 stolen base month here at some point. He could get a little bit warm. Uh, you know, the Babbitt's really low for him, and he's a career 300 Babbitt guy. He's at 237, so it's going to come around a little bit. Um, strikeouts are down, so he's making contact. He's walking, which is good. Um, I just think you have to hold him unless you're at a point where stolen bases don't make a difference. You're, you're, you're kind of set in that category. Got it. Um, and your fold. Yeah, someone that I, I you can't drop yet, but I'm worried about is uh, is Nick Castellanos in Philadelphia, uh, hitting 251, only eight home runs. But you look at like all his numbers, and it's just it's just concerning. You know, hard contact is something he always has. It's like when he was in Detroit, when he was in Cincy, he always hit the ball hard. He's down to 34.5 percent hard hit rate, down to 7.6 percent barrel. hasn't been hasn't had numbers that low since 2015. Uh, his Ks are up two and a half percent to 23 percent. Walks are down to 6.2 percent. Guy's OBP is 300 right now. Like he's just not a good player. And it's hard to figure out what's going on, but you look at hard hit rates, 23rd percentile, exit velos, 29th percentile, his chase rate is in the 5th percentile, whiff rate, 12th percentile. There's a lot of stuff, and those are like the lowest numbers of his career. He's swinging his first pitch, the highest numbers of his career. I think he probably is pressing a little bit. 
getting frustrated trying to swing that first pitch and make something happen right away. Um, you know, StatCast page, you know, you look at that, it's like all red. It's all hot numbers from 2016 to 2021. Now it's kind of blue. There's a little bit of mild red in there, but he looks like a completely different hitter right now. I don't know what's going on. Maybe there's a hidden injury or something like that. But uh, Castellanos is someone that, as I dug deeper into, um, I got more worried about as I looked deeper. Yeah, and with no Harper, the protection is also gone. So that's even worse, obviously. Um, excellent statistical analysis on that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm gonna throw out. I'll throw out two quick ones. I mean, Joey Gallo. I don't think we need an analysis on this one. <laughs> Qu- question is: Is Joey Gallo like the the the, the Chris C. Chris Davis? Does he remind you of him? Uh, he reminds reminds me of him a lot. I mean, huge a uh, huge power peak, and then just fell off the table. I mean, strikeout yeah. rate's thirty nine and a half percent. Yeah, I think he's a, he was a he was an O for twenty three slump going into yesterday. I don't know if you got a hit. Everybody on the Yankees got a hit. I think he had a home run yesterday. Yeah, everybody, home the Yankees, run, yeah. Yeah, everybody the Yankees had a hit yesterday. Scored sixteen runs, but and I don't know. I mean, if he he's got ten home runs. Like so, he's not helping. He has nineteen RBIs in the year. Two hundred thirty plate appearances played in the Yankees lineup. Nineteen RBIs is almost impossible. It's just he's he's helping you in zero categories right now. Yeah, one sixty seven average. I mean, there's the Mendoza <laughs> line where you hit two hundred, yep. and then there's the Joey Gallo line where. I mean, that's my my college weight was was better than that one. You know, it's just crazy. <laughs> and Chris Chris Davis has an eighty. He usually bats two forty one, I think, and so it's, that's eighty points higher. That's a huge difference. That's you you can't. This is unrosterable. He is completely unrosterable. I think even in a fifteen team league. And like yeah. I said before, if someone else wants to take him and have that headache, by all means, good luck with him. Yeah, I mean, he's actively he's actively hurting you in four categories right now. Oh yes. yeah, absolutely. I mean, only if you're in you know really really far down and just. On the off chance, uh, he's worthless. Uh, but I, uh, the other reason, the less technical reason why you shouldn't have him is, uh, first of all, he's batting ninth most days. As you said, yep. you're batting left. Can you imagine a 40-home run guy batting ninth? What does that tell you? Uh, but the question is, you know, if you're the Yankees, right, and you're doing pretty well, and it's looking like you're making the postseason, you're going to want to trade for somebody and fix this problem because it's a very, very big problem on the team. Uh, if I'm the Yankees, I trade for somebody to solve the outfield problem, uh, and that just cuts Gallo's time, it, if, if anything, right? Uh, he's going to lose playing time like no tomorrow. So uh, if you can trade him in any league and get any value for him, you might do it because his value could go to near zero. Uh, certainly, you can't roster him now, and if he gets half the playing time, then that's completely sunk. A pinch hitter, Joey Gallo, is absolutely worthless. And I mentioned J- Jesse Winker. Um, Jesse Winker is just, just – <laughs> the expectations that we had before the season from the great year last year is done. Uh, the park change has hurt him absolutely dramatically. Um, I mean, he, he's batting two twenty six. He was batting three oh five last year. Uh, it's a little bit BABIP-aided, but of course last year was very BABIP-aided as well. His BABIP was three twenty four. Uh, he's now down to th- two sixty five. So the uh, the what's it called the reflection principle? It, what goes up? Now he's seeing the opposite end. He's not hitting for power, and he could lose playing time. I mean, what if Mitch Hanniger comes back? Mitch Hanniger has been solid when he's healthy. I can see playing time dwindling. The Mariners could make a run for the playoffs. He ain't hitting. He's going to be out of there. Now, they're batting him first these days. They're batting him to get get him going. And at a certain point when they don't, they'll bring up Jared Kelenic and give that a shot. Uh, so, uh, I, Winker could be in trouble. Again, I, I, I would probably fold him if you can trade him away. Hey, listen, we traded him away in labor and got uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Wasn't really an upgraded. He got hurt instantly. But, you know, try trading a bad problem for a bad problem and just hope it fixes itself 
and uh, and Kyle Lewis. Yeah, Carl Lewis is actually on a rehab too. assignment. Yep. Yeah, he's on a rehab assignment. He's gonna be back like he'll probably be back right after the All Star break. So he's gonna yep. take over his spot also. So I yeah. mean, it doesn't make any sense. If you can if you can get something for him, get a middle reliever who can possibly be a closer for him. Hundred percent, make that trade. He's got to at least sit versus lefties once Lewis and and yes. Haniger are back, right? I mean, there's there's yes. no way you're you're sitting those guys against a lefty and then Winker plays two thirds of the time, maybe sits a little bit. He might be. You're right. He might lose some time pretty quick here. Very, very quick. And it's all about playing time down the stretch, really, uh, especially if you're up top. You're just looking for expected performance, and whatever projections that you see on fan graphs are going to be cut because it's all about playing time. Projections scale to playing time. If he's getting even a third less, well, that cuts his expected home run total from eight down to five, and five homers rest of season. What is that for you? That's nothing. Uh, not worth rostering in that point. Um, all right, waiver wire. Let's. Uh, if anybody has a player or two to mention that maybe you should pick up this week, uh, go for it, Scott. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. You never know how it's going to look. But uh, pitching wise, uh, the first guy I'm looking at is, is Brian Bayo in 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 Boston. Got called up. Uh, he's going to pitch at Tampa Bay on Monday. Uh, just a question of whether he gets more. You know, Nate Edivaldi and Chris Sale probably be back next week. Uh, he had a little bit of boost today because Josh Winkowski, who's kind of their fifth right now, uh, got smoked by the Yankees. It's He's given up six runs now. I don't know if he's still in the game or not looking at the TV. But uh, Bayo was really, really good in AAA. Uh, he was uh, he was 51 innings, uh, 2.81 ERA, 1.17 whip. In AA and 33 innings this year, he has a 1.60 ERA. Huge strikeout guy, 34% in AAA. Uh, the walks are a little bit t- a little bit high at 10%. The first start was a little bit rough at Tampa. Uh, four innings, six hits, four earned runs, three walks, two Ks. Uh, really big ground ball guy, though. Like, if you're looking for an upside pitcher um, every day, give me someone who strikes guys out and gets ground balls. That combo is usually really lethal. Uh, my only concern here is that if he sticks in the rotation, I think he's going to need a really good start at Tampa to stick. And if, if he if he does that, maybe he sticks and Winkowski uh, does, you know, gets out of the rotation. But I think Brian Bayo is very, very interesting just based on the uh, the, the big strikeout and high ground ball, pro, ground ball profile. Good combo there. Ruben? Well, a lot of the guys we already mentioned today, um, Will Smith, Adrian Minter, they're only 39 and 43% owned on CBS if they're still available. Go and get them because you don't know how long Jansen's going to be out. They said he's going to come back next week, but it's a hard issue. They may want to keep him out maybe until the All-Star break, which is only about 10 days from now. So that may, that may be something you want to take take a look at. You mentioned Lou Trevino. He's only still 25% owned in CBS. So if you still really need a closer, Danny Jimenez is still only throwing from 90 feet and he's still a while away to come back. So Lou Trevino is the guy to get. We mentioned Bruce Gratterall already. Kimbrell had a CT scan of his back, which was normal, which means that it's muscular in nature. That's, that's the issue. And muscle issues can last and linger. And the way, the way he sets up, the way he bends, and the way he moves, there's a chance he may be out for... I mean, he, he got the win yesterday, actually. He pitched yesterday and he got a win. But you don't know when it's going to flare up or anything like that, so you have to be careful with that. And Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel is only owned in 20% of CBS leagues. He's second base and outfield eligible. And in the last three weeks, he's batting 362, two homers, eight RBIs, and three stolen bases, and he will get the playing time as long as he can stay healthy. Yeah, I was going to mention Senzel. In terms of my pitchers for this week, um, I don't really see great stuff at the bottom, but in shallower leagues, uh, Marco Gonzalez playing Washington, uh, he always pitches long into games. Long into games means you could win it. Uh, And uh, Herman Marquez playing Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's a decent matchup for strikeouts and uh, could keep the Rockies in the game. I know it's at home, but uh, what the heck, it's Pittsburgh. In terms of hitters, uh, you mentioned Senzel. Uh, Eric Hasse, I don't even have to pronounce his name. Hasse or Hasse. That's that's amazing. That was my offensive player I was going to mention, too. I did, not really? think I, I did not think we'd have something in common there. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, there you go. Good thing we're not playing the same league. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, he's he's red hot, by the way. I, I had him in almost every single two-catcher league before the season started. Yep, you and and I both. dropped him, right? And I dropped him in every single league. He Me was too. <laughs> nothing, right. Uh, kind of wish I picked him up last week. He In his last 23 plate appearances, four homers, 350. That's what he did last year. And do you know what position he's batting in the lineup right now? Fourth, fourth, fifth, and fourth the last three games. Yes. Uh that is a guy who last year not only did they play a catcher, but they played in the outfield as well to get him more at bats. Uh, that is the guy to roster if you're in a two catcher league. He's available in a lot of leagues. This is an immediate button push. Uh, I usually have waiver wire picks, and I'm usually oh, could be this. This is like a you gotta pick this guy up right now, right? You agree with that? We got Scott also agreeing, right? Yeah, I can't. I cannot. I thought I, I, at the end of the year, I was gonna like, oh, let me give me my one sneaky guy, and clearly not that sneaky. But he's uh, <laughs> he's he's thirty six percent rostered in NFBT, twelve teamers, seventy two percent in the fifteen teamers. I think he's a slam dunk ad in the fifteens. I'm mad at myself. Yeah. I, I I didn't. I don't think I added him last week, and I, I, I meant to. And I had him in my conditionals, and I think I got Carson Kelly instead. And I was that's a mistake there. But thirty six percent owned in the twelve teamers. That's twenty four catchers rostered. I think he should be one of the twenty four catchers rostered. I think he could be a top 10 co- catcher for the rest of the season, really. He hit the ball really hard last yeah. year. It's down a little bit this year. But you give me someone hitting fourth, fifth, and fourth and playing more than he was early in the year, I think he's a really good ad. Absolutely. Uh, the other two guys I mentioned is uh, Nick Lodolo. He's under 50% all, only on CBS. Buck Showalter compared him to Chris Sale. Uh, hasn't thrown a lot of innings this year. So, you know, he's got lots of innings to give. A lot of these young guys you worry about later in the season being shut down. I don't think he will be because of the small innings. Uh, so Lodolo, he uh, is yeah. available. I, lo- I love that one. I added him three weeks ago in the main event and decided to wait on him, and I I, I, I really like his upside. Absolutely. And I, I, dr- I drafted him in a bunch of leagues, and I held on to him and just stuck on my IL for a while. So love that. I, I'm yeah. very high on him also. Yeah, he looked he looked really good against the Mets earlier this week. I only I only pitched four and two-thirds, but struck out eight guys. And he, he, he looked the part. If you look at the eye test, he looked really good in that start. Yeah, and I'll also mention, I think, an obvious pickup. 25% on CBS, Derek Hall. He's batting cleanup. Now, he is striking out 37% of the time. He hasn't walked a single bit so far. Sure, his home to fly ball ratio is 43%. Understood that's pretty high, but he has been league, uh, above league average in all his minors' career. So it's not like he's been, you know, low and what the heck, he's been over 25, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, 131 WRC plus at AAA this year. That's so far carried over to the majors. Um, I think this is one of these guys who can be a spark. Obviously, he's going to get some playing time now. You don't have Harper there. If Castellanos can somehow follow it, then you get some RBIs. Any Anytime you're batting fourth in the lineup, you're going to get a requisite amount of RBIs and runs, uh, even if you're not even great. Uh, I think it's worth that chance of add, especially if you need the spark at the bottom. Derek Cole, I think, is an interesting add for this week. Um, anybody Hol- else? Homer, Homer about an hour ago, too. Oh, did he really? Yeah. There you go. So, uh, well, um, well I, have, I have one other guy, Dom Smith. Since he's been called up, he's batting 333 with like six or seven doubles. If he gets playing time, he's only 6% owned. People drafted him preseason, and a lot of people drafted him because he got sent down to the minors. Since he's been called up from the minors, he's raised his batting average close to 35 points. So he must have found something. He, he hit. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He hit very well in the minors. He's L, he's 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 a lefty on part of the platoon there. He, he plays DHs. He can play first. He's he plays a lot. And and Buck Walter said there is a place for him on this team. So there is a chance that if he per, if he continues what he's doing, because he actually got. I don't know if you know this, but in 2019 he got 14 
MVP votes that year in 2019. That's how valuable he could in be. In 19 or 20? T- t- uh, 20, 20. It was, it was 2020. One of the years. It was 2019 2020. 20. He got 14 MVP votes. How, so how many of those were from that, the Cohen household? Um, well, well, no, actually, the Mets—he didn't own the Mets. I don't think then, so I don't think it really matter that much. But yeah, uh, I, I so, met, I met, the, I met the host Cohen, not Steve Cohen. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, yeah. I met, I met the, voted. I met the Mets, the Mets fan here. Yeah, they, yeah they probably, he probably voted for him twice and stuffed the ballot for him. But still, he, he did have he did have the numbers to back it up. And he's only 6% owned in CBS. If you need a guy and you want to take a chance on him, he's he'll be dirt cheap. You get him for a buck or two, and he's a guy you can plug into your lineup almost immediately, and he's on the good side of a platoon. Yeah. By the way, Scott, you know that, that I'm related, uh, that uh, Steve Cohen is my uncle. You know that, right? Oh, I did not know that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I was going to say, you, you, you wouldn't have to worry about that ad revenue if that was the case. <laughs> no, no. Nah, joking. He's got a little bit more money than me, huh, I think. Let me He's got a little yeah. more money than everybody. Yeah. yeah Combined. Yeah. Uh, yes, he does. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, let's, uh, well, we're up to uh, Ruvain's injury update. And, uh, I mean, last couple of years, there's no shortage of injuries. So take it away, Ruvain. Yeah, we got a bunch of things to talk about. Well, actually, I spoke a lot of them during the show, so it's not too bad. But we'll start with Brandon Lau, another guy who's been underperforming. He's been on the IL. People didn't know what to do with him. He's on a rehab assignment. He just started it, and he's expected to return right after the All-Star break. Tyler Molly went on the IL with a, on a 15-day IL with a right shoulder strain. They don't know how long he's going to be out yet. Frankie Montas, a guy who could be traded, had an MRI for his shoulder that showed no structural damage, and they're hoping he makes his next start. They're not sure about the IL, but we'll see about that. Jake Berger, a guy we mentioned on the waiver wire a couple weeks ago, he has a, he's on the IL with a bone bruise in his right hand. We'll see how long he'll be out for. Jacob deGrom is making his second rehab start. He was throwing gas already, 100 miles an hour in his first start. They wanted to slow down. I don't think he knows what that means to slow down. Chris Taylor, he had a CT scan of his foot, which showed a fracture. He's going to be out for a while. We don't know how long he's going to be out because we don't know what type of squ- what type of fracture it is. Ozzy Albies, he's still riding on a medical scooter as he recovers from surgery from the broken foot. We don't know. There's no timetable, so we don't know exactly what's going to go on with that. Another guy I want to mention, Kirk, uh, uh, Kirk Casale, grade two oblique strain for the Giants. He's going to be out four to six weeks. What this means is Joey Bart may end up being called up. So you want to get a sneaky bid in, try to get Joey Bart. He may be available. And I'm also going to mention Anthony Desclafani. He had surgery for his right ankle. He's done for the year. Well, this has been an absolutely fantastic show. Um, I think we went through uh, amazing strategy and talked about all the gamut of bidding and players and how to bid and of course great picks for this week and really want to thank you Scott for coming on the show it's just amazing uh, and um, if you can please tell the audience uh, where we can uh, uh, see you and uh, all things uh, all things Scott Jenstead. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. It's nice to get the invite, and also it was a, it was a lot of fun. It's always really fun to talk to you guys. It's always uh, always a good time. Uh, you can find me. I do the uh, Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast on Sunday nights with Jeff Erickson. Uh, we do it live, so it's on uh, it's on YouTube, Twitter, you know, video if you want to watch it live. It's usually about. Uh, Usually about eight o'clock on uh, on Sunday night Pacific time, so a little bit late in the Eastern time zone, but obviously it goes up on the audio version of the podcast on uh, on Monday mornings for everybody in the East Coast. But uh, pretty much uh, doing that uh, mostly uh, during the baseball season. I do do the uh, gaming golf uh, podcast with Rotowire, and then do a football podcast during football season. But uh, baseball wise, the Sunday podcast is where to uh, where to find me at the moment. 
Amazing stuff. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, you should. That's my go-to Monday morning breakfast podcast. Uh, I used to, ha- I mean, I used to travel to work more, uh, so that was my uh, train podcast. But uh, <laughs> now my breakfast podcast, as I'm working more from home these days. Uh, so really great stuff every every single week. Uh, it's with uh, Jeff Erickson as well uh, over at Rotowire. I appreciate you listening. Absolutely. Um, and Ruvain, uh, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. Next guy up. And I also have a weekly article that comes out on Saturday discussing all the injuries that are fantasy pertinent as well as the next guy up and how long they're going to be out for. All right. I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my stuff over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. I'm on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you to Scott Jenstad for coming on and being our excellent guest this week. And from all of us here at the Beat the Shift podcast, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.